0: Hello there, welcome to MSG10. That's movement scenes and genres where as you know if you've been listening to this for a while we invite a guest on who talks about movement a scene or a genre um in 10 songs and that brief is deliberately quite vague we've had things as big as disco and as small and niche as bands somebody once saw in manchester raptors in 1980 um we have covered new york no Wave, the hoboken sound disco Britpop, riot girl um oy, noise rock um protest songs and many many more you can find um us at our home which is infrequency.co.uk or on our mixcloud which is um mixcloud.com slash tempfans i would recommend you listen to us On one of those two because you get to hear the songs legally um and for free or you can just listen on your pod player and we'll try and put um spotify playlist in the link where you find your pods although not all the songs are always on spotify so infrequency.co.uk and um mixcloud.com slash temp fans right joining me today um is and i had to ask how to pronounce it which is silly beforehand is molly Tai, who is is it the new editor guest editor -editor, co-editor co-writer co-something of punctuation (laughs) mag with a k uh i'm
1: the uk editor for punctuation mag with a k and i'm still a, a contributor to the site yeah
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And we'll put all the links in in, in the thing, Um now obviously we've got we've we've got we've got someone from punctuation mag with a K. Um so if you're expecting it to be all punk, you might be slightly disappointed. However, I am I'm a bit conflicted about today because I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really interesting. But there is a song but from a band that I never thought I would ever play on a podcast in oh, my I life. Oh, I can
1: guess who that's going to be. Is,
0: which is coming later. Um, so Molly. I
1: will win you round.
0: <laughs> um, so what are we doing and why?
1: So my, um, yeah, we're not going to be doing punk, although we are, there is going to be a sort of element of punk. But what I've chosen is kind of all female bands or groups. So it kind of started off as, as girl bands, but not everybody really likes that kind of label, girl bands, women bands, bands that are all female from, I've given myself a task from kind of the 60s kind of girl band boom and how women in bands and in music have kind of um, morphed and developed through different types of music, different genres and kind of what. Women's output in terms of music kind of reflects about the times that they're making their music. Really,
0: okay. I and mean, now I'm instantly worried about whether or not the, the 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 logo for this episode of I was going to girl groups and girl bands. What what, what should I do, Molly? What, what what should we call the episode?
1: I think I think girl bands. I think we'll
0: stick with perfect that. girl girl bands. It is that the last one of these I, I recorded? We still didn't know what we were calling it by the end of it, and it was just.
1: Girl bands with a little asterisk, we're not saying they're all girls. They're women as well, but it girl bands for, yeah, for yeah. ease of
0: reference. Yeah, because all female artists might be too big for the for the for the logo. We'll work out, we'll work out. There's we'll work so out. many
1: disclaimers and caveats that I'm gonna have to cover, I imagine, as I as I drift <laughs> through this. We're not treating them as a genre, we're just talking them as a kind of area of music. Oh. There's loads oh,
0: yeah. there's loads to unpick. Oh, oh yeah, one thing. One thing I've learned over doing this and our sister pod temporary fandoms over the last few years, um from a couple of guests, of recurring guests, is female fronted is not a genre. I, yeah, in my head, female front is not a, is not a genre. um Okay, I mean when when you said to me um you were going to do, uh, I'm just going to say girl bands for for, for, for what there were there was lots I was kind of hoping would come in and a bunch and most of those seem to have been ticked off on the list. Um. I'm assuming we're going chronologically. Most guests tend to.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. That's how, yeah, we
0: should do it. Okay, okay. Um, Hopefully I'm not going to ask you any questions that you haven't, that you're not prepared for. But I mean, if we're starting at the beginning, how did girl bands, I mean, because obviously a lot of music in like the 50s and 60s was producer-led and somebody would get a group of people into a room to go and do this. Um, How did this, where did our story start?
1: Well our story doesn't start where our, where I'm starting um, in terms of the first track but cuz actually of, you know of course since music has been made women have been part of that um part of any kind of scene any kind of um genre i think what um women particularly early on have sort of suffered from is potentially being written out of a lot of musical history so we don't necessarily know a lot um now although there's lots of people uncovering things around women in classical music women in kind of early jazz and i think there was a long uh sort of you know hole of knowledge there where lots of people lots of women were not really given maybe the the props that they deserved so there's a lot of things that we don't know maybe about women Making music in kind of the um, earlier periods, what one thing I was to, I was toying whether to start with, and we haven't kind of started here in terms of track selection. But mm-hmm. one of the really pioneering genres for women, including all kind of female bands, was early country and folk in America. And some of the earliest recorded all female bands come into that kind of bluegrass, country, kind yeah. of folk, Appalachian kind of sound in the 20s and 30s. I
0: mean, do we think, even just hypothesizing here, that that the reason that was a decent breeding ground for all female groups was maybe its sort of homespun nature? Um, People could just... I'm really sorry, American listeners, people could get together on the porch uh, and pick up the banjo. I I mean, that's how I'm imagining it was, but as opposed to having to get studio time and go and do tours and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think it was that homespun nature that maybe encouraged that?
1: I think there was definitely a lot of um a lot of the early recordings were live recordings um that certainly touring was quite a big part of a lot of that kind of early country so and that's one of the interesting things about women being quite um active in this scene that there there were some all female kind of tours um which would have been quite the you know quite the spectacle at the time women you know, traveling around the country on their own, being quite self-sufficient, setting up their own um, live venues or, um, you know, performing to crowds where they find them. Um, and one of the things that I think people don't necessarily always appreciate because country music is um, kind of gotten a bit of a, a naff uh, maybe sort of um, image is that there are massive parallels between early country and early punk. Um, and I've written about this before and it's something that is really, really fascinating and the role of women and how they challenged a lot of the um, sort of you know preconceptions of what a woman should be and how they should behave and um, that they should just get married and have children. A lot of some of the really early country recording artists were already challenging some of those um, assumptions. So I think there was a song called Single Girl, I'd have to look it up, by um, the Carter family um, about sort of extolling the joys of being a single female and not, you know, not being married and being unattached. And there were quite a lot of um,
0: oh, and this that. And, and this was like... Way back in the day. Yeah, this
1: is like the sort of 40s, 50s. Um, and there are, some, there are some recordings going back to, um, you know, before, around that time or even slightly before that around women singing about I'd rather just have fun with my friends than have a boyfriend, talking about having um, unmarried sex, which would have been a huge taboo um, at the time. But women sort of, and I think that's because one of the other parallels between country and punk is this um, kind of sense of being quite disenfranchised, not being represented um, by, you know, politics or the political elite, this kind of real working class solidarity. And I think what it has in common with punk is that out of that also comes a, a progressiveness, maybe in terms of women's role. And that's not to say that 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 is across the board and that there's not backlashes or challenges to that or that the genres don't maybe morph in the opposite direction. Um, So I'm not saying all of country music's legacy is like that, but it has a real radical starting point, particularly for women.
0: Um, We did uh, an episode on protest with Chris Chris Thorpe Tracy, uh, History of Protest Songs in America. And a lot of the earlier tracks were country ish and they were about unions, yeah. and they were about workers' rights and they were about this and they were about that. so this this ties in really nicely with that. When you were talking, I had a flashback to a, a conversation I had with someone about three weeks ago when I had to reveal to them that girls just want to have fun wasn't by Cindy Lauper; it was by some random dude in the '70s, and the original version just sounds slightly creepy because <laughs> there's some guy going, "Yeah, girls want to have fun they just want it're like. No, right, not <laughs> with you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, okay, probably a, as good a time as any to start on the first track. Where are we starting, Molly?
1: I'd like to start with one of my all-time favorite groups. and actually, they were the reason I chose this as a um, as my kind of selection, as my um, area, and it's the Shangri Las. Um, do you want me to say the name of the track as well, or is there yeah, yeah, yeah. a big I mean, <laughs>
0: reveal? You, you, you don't have to, but yeah, yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> um, so, I mean, there, there were a lot of tracks I could have chosen, but I've, I've chosen one that I think represents um, something that was quite unique about them. So, I've chosen Leader of the Pack.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if you said to me pick a Shangri-La's track, my brain would have got Leader of the Pack, give me five minutes and I'll think of some others. Um, so, okay, so when when and how did the shangri-las come about to the best of your knowledge
1: um so the shangri-las um were came about they were from new york so um and they came about in the um early 60s i can tell you exactly when they came about um they were in uh, 1964 was when they signed their first recording contract so they were part of that kind of real boom in the 60s of a lot of female vocal groups which is the category I would kind of put them in and they were signed to Redbird Records which was the label that was considered to be the girl band label at that point so it had quite a lot of um quite a lot of girl bands on there 90 percent of their charting releases were by female artists this particular record company so they were um in good company the Shangri-La's but I guess what that means is, and this is something that a lot of the bands have in common, there, there was an element of kind of market saturation, I think, in the 60s that meant that success for some of the groups was relatively limited just because there were quite a lot of them.
0: It's quite a lot of them to go around. So so, so, why do you think, I mean, what? obviously, I mean, I, I do do some cursory research when, when people send me through their list. And one of the things I found fascinating, and maybe – I don't know. Maybe this was one of the reasons they, they cut through. Was their image was less, slightly less squeaky clean? It
1: was. They were the bad. They were considered the bad girls um, of this whole cohort. So they were first of all, they were from a tough, uh, a, a, what was considered to be a tougher area um, from in Queens in New York. They had an image because if you think about some of the other bands, there are. Um, know they all dress in in quite glamorous kind of it's it's a very glamorous I think um time of music for those girl bands and lots of nice matching dresses everybody looks very well put together and their whole image was slightly more tomboyish um and slightly more um slightly tougher um and considered to be quite rebellious, so they were quite um rambunctious. There were lots of stories that their fans really liked about them doing outrageous things. I think there was a story about one of them having like a, a gun in the car or something or
0: Yeah, I I I I, yeah, I saw that when I looked at um okay, I'll be honest most of my most of my research tends to be Wikipedia. Um and there was one um, Mary Weiss apparently took a firearm across state Lines and she said, "But she said I needed it because for self defense." um so yeah, so there was a, yeah the, the bad girl reputation. Yeah, like that's of- shocking.
1: That's like back then. I mean, even now, but back then that would have been just really sh- three. of there were there was four. I mean, they like their lineup changed slightly because sometimes there were three men, sometimes there were four. But that you know, either way, they were kind of like a gir- they had like a girl gang, slight girl gang aesthetic, and I think a lot of their songs were about being in love with bad boys and you know that's shocking as well for all of these girls listening to the Shangri La's and thinking i want a bad boy um boyfriend on a motorbike um and i don't want to do what my parents say so a lot of their a lot of their songs are about very teenage um you know phenomenons around yeah. rebellion and my parents don't like my boyfriend and, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to run away and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. So it's a very melodramatic.
0: the sort of teen tragedy. Thing.
1: Yeah, which is very much what Leader of the Pack kind of – that's why I think that it's not my favourite Shangri-La song, which my favourite Shangri-La song is Walking in the Sand. Um, but I think Leader of the Pack just demonstrates – what a lot of people liked about the Shangri-Las and it was kind of their, I think it was their, their most successful song.
0: I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, if, if if I had to pick one song from them that I assumed was their biggest, biggest, biggest hit, it would be this one. I, and it okay, was well,
1: banned from radio as well because it was violent, because <laughs> it depicted violence. Um, so I just love, I just think, oh, to have been a teen in that, in that era, I would have absolutely lived for the Shangri-Las. I know it.
0: I'm guessing. Yeah, in my head it's all what sixty. So it's all it's hairspray and cigarettes. Um, Because because I watched Grease once. I I I don't know. Um, Okay, so we're probably probably as good a time as any. Um, I'm only going to say this this one time. Um, If you're listening on our Mixcloud or our website, you're now going to hear the song. If not, you'll hear something go for about ten seconds, and we'll be right back. So one thing I, I noticed when I was um, looking at the stuff about the Shangri-Las is that um, leader of the Pack was written by this sort of male pop empresario at the time. And and if you go through 50s, 60s, 70s bands, um, there just seem to be some, some dude who's been given all the power from the record label. I mean, but, but we'll talk about the actual group in a bit, but you look at people like Phil Spector, Mm. and yes they knew how they knew how to put together a tune but while there's a lot of female bands or female groups who are enjoying success totally because they deserve it there is also this thing in the record in the record industry where yeah but they need a they need a guy they need a man behind them they need a man to sort of get them where they're going right i mean am i misguided here this is just how it seemed to me particularly in the past
1: no, well, I don't I don't think it's just a thing of the past. And even as we go through um, you know, some of the other choices as we're sort of moving through the years, this does come up again and again, it's gonna come up when we talk about runaways, it's gonna come up when we talk about spice girls, spoiler alerts, still run. netted that out. But um, yeah, it's I mean, and I think actually if if we were to do a whole um you know, if you were to do a whole thing of just about those sixties girl groups, this was a really, really big theme um that it was a very much a commercial enterprise so when people think about i don't know like stock Aitken and waterman and there's this kind of like pop hit factory just give we just have songwriters they're just going to write loads of songs we just get some acts they don't have very good contracts maybe um we don't want to write them and stuff we just want them to perform and it's all about um Selling records and and making money that is that is completely the same for all of those girl groups and Motown um, groups as well and um, yeah the
0: there's often a man at the helm yeah. and even the recently what's what's her name I, 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 young American female musicians I mix them all up is it Kellis there was one of the big stories recently and she had there, was it Keisha,
1: was, you're thinking Keisha.
0: Tisha, I think, um, where the the producer basically took advantage of his of his power, and the whole thing got got nasty. So it, it hasn't gone away. Um,
1: there was right, a so, big um, a big thing with Taylor Swift as well. She had to re-record like her back catalog because um, of an issue with royalties with a producer that she said you know exploited her and was um, was making money out of her records, and she just decided to re-record. I, I, I,
0: I mean, I haven't really listened to the work of Tay Tay much. So I'm hoping when she re-recorded, um, it sounded like the originals. Because slight detour here: when the Wonder stuff re-recorded their first three albums, probably for the same sort of reason to 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 made... No, this wasn't the same. I mean, for one, the original bass player was dead. Uh, for two, you've got the guy who joined in the second album on fiddle in the first. No, just just stop it. Just stop it. <gasps> I like things the way they are. Um, okay.
1: <laughs> I think Taylor Swift fans are happy no matter what it, what it is that she does. We won't invoke any anger from Taylor Swift fans.
0: Oh, but luckily, luckily for, for, for Taylor Swift, um, she is now in the position where, you know, if someone has slighted her in the past, she could literally release a, a, a song or an album about it and have, have massive success. Not every artist gets off this sort of, a merry-go-round of 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 um what's the word uh merry-go-round of of being taken advantage of uh, well i mean i'm guessing some of the artists we speak about today should have been able to based on sales or success should have been able to have a pretty comfortable life afterwards and i'm guessing not all of them did
1: no Um, And I think the Taylor Swift thing is relevant to what we're talking about just because it is an artist that has always been seen from the beginning as having a very tight control over her career. And she writes all of her own songs. That's always been known as she's a very modern songwriter. And then to find out that actually she was also in a position where she's found herself in all these sort of legal woes trying to get what she thinks is fair um, for her in terms of, you know, um, recompense for what she's done. Shows that maybe these issues, particularly for women, have not changed hugely. Well, I,
0: was, I was, I was, I was just going to ask you that. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I could probably pluck many examples of boy bands or or male artists. Elvis would be a massive example of of somebody who basically made a lot more money. Although Elvis did very well, but you know, in terms of, you know, he 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 was contractually obliged to fifty albums a year, and Colonel Tom Parker made got very rich. And the, all of the sort of boy bands that came through the 80s and 90s who got churned out and then dumped by the side of the road. So now they're working in the local Quicksave. Yeah, quick save, Is quick still a thing? I haven't lived in the UK for
1: quick sa- I, I Quick guess. save with a K. I think. Yes. I think it might be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so, so my question is, um, I'm guessing it is worse for female artists, but I mean, why and and, and how much? it's kind of my question I mean is it is it worse is it bad for them because they're just young musicians who don't know better or is it bad for them because they're young musicians who don't know better in a very patriarchal industry
1: well, it is a it, it, the music industry in general, and I'm lumping all the genres together as just a music industry is a very patriarchal industry, and also I think there is a theme of a lot of these artists being very young. So I don't think it, I think that their you know gender does play a part, um, and there are predatory men in the music industry in the way that I'm sure there are in you know all the other industries, and as me too. A sort of gained traction over years we're starting to see some of the real extents of this across lots of different industries but mary going back to the shanglas very briefly mary um we- weiss was 15 when she signed a contract at redbird records um, when we look at the runaways um that they are also all teenagers um in fact all of the bands i think pretty much that we're going to be talking about with the exception of a couple are young women as well um kate nash has um, talked about a singer-songwriter has, has spoken about this as well, about being very young, being thrust into the spotlight, being offered a chance of stardom and singing. And then you, you don't realise what you're signing until it's possibly too late.
0: Charlotte Church has got one of the worst things that happened to me was signing these big deals because I was a commodity.
1: Oh, it's Charlotte Church has been very outspoken over the years, I think, about um, various ways she was treated in the press. So she's kind of. Because the some of the bands that we are talking about, I don't really know a lot about how they were covered in the press, so that I'm thinking more about just the music industry. But as we're going to get into bands, maybe that I was there for when they uh, became big, I, I you know I can comment on how they were portrayed and how that impacted how they were seen. So um, you know that's a huge thing as well.
0: Okay, okay well, it's probably I've already said it's probably as good a time as any, but it is probably as good a time as any uh, to move on to the next track and artist.
1: So we're still in the 60s. We're still with the girl bands, but I've picked, I think it would be Remiss not to include the Renettes and um, Be My Baby being, yes, it's the obvious choice, but I do think it is one of the best pop songs that's ever been written. And I think most people would probably agree, I think.
0: um, I mean, uh, one of the, this podcast came out of our other podcast, Temporary Fandoms, which, Came out of a Facebook group, which is still going, and we basically will go through an album a day, do complete discographies. Um, we are a little bit ambulance chasery, so if somebody passes away, mm. we generally quickly, th- quickly throw one in. And when, when, when she died this year, was it this year or last year?
1: Who Ronnie um, Ronnie Ronnie Spectre? I think that was. Um, well, it was. It was it was, it was quite, this year. It was January this year, yeah. twenty twenty January um, twenty two. So,
0: so we listen to all all of her work, and um, there's some later stuff that isn't half as interesting, but there's still some great stuff. But her voice from start to finish is a powerhouse of amazing. Absolutely,
1: and what one of the other things that. Um, that really fascinates me is with the whole girl group thing. And there's, there's so many I missed out. So honorable mentions to the Supremes and the Chantels and the Chirales and the Chiffons, and the Crystals and all of that. But that whole era of history was very influential on punk as well. So the New York Dolls ref- were big fans of the shangri They quote the shangri at the beginning of one of their um one of their songs, the, if I'm in love, you better believe I'm in LUV, that uh, whole thing, which is at the front. And Ronnie Spector was quite close to um, the Ramones and to Joey Ramone um, and spent a lot of time hanging out with him. She had members of the Heartbreakers and the Dead Boys supporting her when she did some of her um, solo recordings, like her album Siren Sue. I mean,
0: you can't listen to a single Ramones track without thinking of a 1960s girl band. Yeah, yeah. The, the, their entire sound is well; it's the Ronettes, it's the Shangri Las, but slightly faster and a bit surfy.
1: And they covered stuff. They covered "Baby, I Love You," and there's some yeah. other ones whose names escape me. I'm sure some Ramones fans will be going crazy, uh, being able to tell me what it is. Maybe that I think there is a New York connection there as well. So around the 60s and 70s, there was a sense of kind of camaraderie from a lot of acts that were coming through New York.
0: And I think, and this is something I want to cover in a couple of songs. A lot of the time people might dismiss one act as being just naff pop, for want of a better word. But then you realize who they were working with at the time. And you're like, oh, they just, they just like, they, they weren't this manufactured pop band. They, they liked pop. Yeah. But they, could also, they also worked with these cool people because they also liked music and they were talented musicians. Um, I think it's very easy to just go, like, eh, band, pop band, it's just a pop band, isn't it?
1: Well the bands like the Shanglars and the Renettes they were quite um I don't think I think they have grown in stature as we as time has gone on. And I think they were not maybe not dismissed, but at the time they were kind of just pigeon holders. It's just girly pop groups. And they make nice songs, but they're not quite as um they've not got the credibility that rock and roll had. They've not, um and it really the, the, the British invasion and those kinds of bands are attributed as part of the kind of decline of the popularity of some of these pop
0: bands. Do you think the lack of credibility might be like okay, the, take the Beach Boys and take the Beatles? They were they were a, they were both pop bands of a bunch of boys who got gained enough credibility that they could go off and make a Pet Sounds or a Sergeant Pepper's, and everyone was like, "Oh, fantastic! They're proper musicians." Do you think? the Shangri-Las or the Ronettes would have been a, would have been allowed to.
1: I think there is a lot of snobbery around pop music, pop music um, and of which, and I am a complete anti-music snob. So um, I think that the, we, we can't all like the same. We don't want everything to sound like The Clash or The Beatles, surely. Um, as much as I love, I love The Clash, I don't want everything to sound like them because... You know, that would be boring. But also I think even now there are certain things that are just seen of hallmarks of credibility. One is writing your own songs and two is playing your own instruments. And I think that that puts some pop artists at a, perhaps a slight disadvantage in terms of being taken seriously. But the other thing, which um, I could literally fill this whole hour talking about, so I won't, but I also think that things that are liked primarily by women and primarily by young women are slightly easier to dismiss. That if you're that things that are that meet the taste of maybe teenage girls are considered to be silly or frivolous in some way. Um and and even though there were a lot of obviously a huge amount of female Beatles fans, and there's been a lot written about kind of the the screaming kind of fandom of the Beatles, I'd be interested, someone will know more about this than me, about the Beatles and everything. Um whether those were considered sort of real Beatles fans, there was still there was still an element of isn't it silly seeing all these girls crying and screaming? But we don't say that about like football matches or something. Look at all these men crying and screaming. Um, well, some people might, but uh, yeah, I think that that I think there was a lot of things that go against you um, when you're making kind of popular music and when when a lot of you are kind of singing and dancing and it's not really seen as very challenging. Whereas somebody like Brian Wilson is considered a mute, quite rightly, is considered obviously a real craftsman in terms of music.
0: Well, I tell you what, I want to I come back to that last point you just made. But it's probably, is probably a good time right now to, to, to play the next track for those listening who can. Um, and then we'll be back after that one. Yeah, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to move on too much. Um, I just wanted to carry on with that conversation a little bit. Um, and you were talking about how people have more legitimacy if they write their own music. They have instruments. They're not dancing. Maybe um, I, I've noticed something over maybe the last year. It's probably been going on for three years, but it take, it's taken me a while to, to spot it happening. Um, the example would be we went to Primavera Porto and one of the best acts that entire weekend was Rina sawayama um who was a female pop star with backing dancers and a live band behind but she kicked ass absolutely kicked ass and there was suddenly this cred there seemed to be this massive credibility essentially let's be honest a a festival where you've also got pavement and dinosaur junior and gorilla so fitting along in there with with people like shellac and whatnot she absolutely bossed it absolutely amazing and you also look at people like Mm self-esteem who released one of the best, best albums of the last few years and suddenly what you've got is this legitimacy of female pop again and to the point that they can go to a they could be at reading festival or glastonbury tomorrow on the main stage, and nobody's going to bat an eyelid.
1: Yes, I think it's interesting you say that because, but also festivals still don't have a very high proportion of female headliners. Um, does, but in terms of sort of credibility and pop music, it's – And I'm obviously for the the whenever you talk about music, you kind of have to generalize in a sense because I can also think of lots of pop acts who I think have quite a lot of credibility. So Beyonce, for example, I think um, I don't think even if you're not a fan of Beyonce, I don't I don't think we could argue she's not critically acclaimed and that she's not given a fair amount of um, respect. But then I would have said the same about Taylor Swift. But then there's something happened a few months ago where Damon Albarn, I think, was interviewed,
0: and he said he
1: made a comment that she doesn't write her own songs. And he he said, "Oh yeah, I'm paraphrasing, so sorry, Damon, don't." uh, But he he said something like, "Oh, I think she's, I know what being a co-writer means," and he implied maybe that she doesn't really write these songs or she has a lot of help. And she kicked back on that quite rightly, and I was really surprised that he said it because I thought the whole point of why she's so popular is because it's known that she is a prolific songwriter and a very talented songwriter in a kind of country tradition. So, and I thought that, I don't know, I thought, would he he have said that if it was a male artist? I
0: mean, mean, this is the thing. I I remember when it happened at the time and yeah, and he he, he said he totally, he he came out very quickly and apologized. He did, he He did. Um, My first thought, and obviously maybe he wouldn't have said it, if it had been about a male, my first thought was, "This is a musician who's probably had twenty five interviews, and this yeah. was one of the interviews, and it was one line in interview that came in response to a question, and he and he, he screwed it up." I mean, fair play, he did, he did apologize unreservedly immediately, or and or. I think does it? She
1: Taylor Swift does write her own songs, so of course. It matters to give her that that um, you know that credit. I mean, I
0: should but, I should hope so. Otherwise, there's some random people in a room writing about Taylor Swift's ex boyfriends, which is even which weirder. is weird. That would be creepy.
1: <laughs> yeah, she'd have to be feeding them a lot of information, and I think that's a weird thing to think about. He snores.
0: He snores. He stole
1: okay. my cardigan <laughs> or whatever it was that she accused somebody of doing. Um, but I think, but I know, I know it's it's. Quite, quite jarring to say it when m- uh, most of my sort of writing and thinking about music is punk oriented, where I do think it does matter with, that people write their own songs only because of how w- what punk means and kind of what that represents to have that label. But outside of that, I think it generally does it really matter, you know? Um,
0: so, so do you think then, I mean, because in some people's eyes, the Sex Pistols have less credibility because they were basically put together and managed and controlled by by a an empresario, as opposed to say your dams and Buzzcocks and other bands that came out of that era who were seen more uh, who were seen as, in some eyes, having more credibility.
1: Oh, I don't want to invoke the wrath of the Sex Pistols fans. It's
0: funny. Uh- <laughs> I'll, do, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, don't like them think they're overrated they're basically a punk version of the monkeys we can call them the punkies now whatever you say is gonna be much better than that okay so can
1: i can i say and we'll keep this in this is not the view of punctuation magazine or any any of its affiliates or any of its editors or writers this is purely your uh take on that this is purely, um, my take. purely your take <laughs> um I think what I think is an interesting point because I think it raises question: What does being manufactured mean? And that's ultimately another another stick to beat a band with is if they've been manufactured. But one of my choices later on, which I will, I'll create some tensions. People don't know what it is, but they are. It cannot be argued that they aren't manufactured because it happened on television. So um, that's what. So that gives you some clue. But um, you know, yeah, it's. The bands like the Sex Pistols didn't necessarily come together organically. In in that they were all high school friends that met in the cafeteria, discovered they all loved the Stooges, and then they just you know went and played in somebody's garage. There, there were people pulling the strings, and there's lots of. But I, I think what the what the Sex Pistols or the fans of the Sex Pistols would say is that still the the impact that they had and the kind of spectacle of them was mm-hmm. a version of punk so i spend a lot of time thinking about what is punk and arguing with people what is punk and um you know that's a whole other thing but i think it would be very difficult if you didn't write any of your own so if you had a songwriting team and you didn't write any of your own songs i think it'd be very difficult for you to get credibility in punk and i think that would possibly be quite understandable but for pop i don't
0: think it matters yeah, I think you're right on that. I mean, even looking at the monkeys, they were put together for a TV show. Don't care. Monkeys Greatest Hits is one of the best greatest hits out there. It's just banger after banger after banger. Um. So okay, so some bands have were put together. Mm-hmm. Um. But then sometimes, like with our next, with your next choice, and um, you have a couple of musicians who basically got in touch with a producer, and then the, the producer helped them put a band together. But they wanted to put a band together. I think. So who have we got next?
1: <laughs> I assume you're talking about the Runaways.
0: Yes, <laughs> I just thought- my Wikipedia my Wikipedia knowledge from earlier on. Um, basically, they basically there was a drummer, there was a guitarist. They they wanted to put, they wanted to do something, and they got in touch with this, this the, the producer, and he put them to he put them in contact with each other. But they were looking to do this anyway. So it sort of some people have dismissed them as being manufactured. But they sort of manufactured themselves with his help, I think.
1: Yeah, and I don't yeah, and I would I wouldn't say that they were manufactured. That's not something that's ever um come to my mind. It's like you said, because um, so we're talking about Kim Foley as the um producer, I think that they yeah. um but the, the drummer Sandy West and Joan Jett were already sort of in contact and then um he got involved and numbers were exchanged and they found other um members. But I think he has said that he didn't put the runaways together, or he doesn't um view that. but um yeah, so I, d- I wouldn't say that they were that they were manufactured. And I think actually the runaways, because of what they did in quite a short space of time, I do think that they have got among in people's eyes quite a lot of credibility. another very young group, a group of very young, as in a group of very young women. Um, getting together in what I, I always imagined would be a relatively kind of hostile environment, I guess, trying to play kind of heavy rock, hard rock, kind of glam rock in the 70s would have been quite but difficult. You've got,
0: you've, you've, I mean, um, I'm talking about the credibility factor you've definitely got. I mean, Joan Jett, I mean, what do you think about her, her, her later years and the chugging, boring rock uh, that, that did come to happen?
1: Uh, that's it's another view that is not
0: necessarily endorsed by... <laughs> But, you know, I say, the eighties 80s, the 80s yeah. and nineties classic rock type yeah. thing. Um rather than the sort of the breakthrough artist um in the early days. Um I mean I would make a reference to punk right now, but I skipped over the what should have been the third track to go on to the fourth track. So we're gonna come back to that conversation in a bit. Um we talked a bit about bands being taken advantage of, and maybe because I've seen the movie and also because there's there's the image. Of the Runaways, um, were they in control of that image? Do you think, or was it something that got, that got out of hand that got taken out of, taken out of their hands?
1: Um, I'm not, I think that what they have said is that they were each influenced by um, different, you know, musical figures or different musical acts, and then that influenced their kind of um, look on stage. So um, the lead singer was a big fan of David Bowie and Joan Jett, like Susie Quattro. And so there was this element of, they're all slightly different, kind of like, I'm not going to say, I was going to say an early Spice Girls and then I stopped myself, but because everyone's going to go mad. Um, But as in there are some of their parts. So there's, there's different uh, personalities. There's different um, musical interests, um, which I think, I think is very common in bands um, to all bring slightly different musical interests um, so, but I think it's difficult to extricate all of that, and all of that, especially in hindsight, if you know that there was a very dominant management system, which I think they have been quite open about, and that their dissolution was because of disagreements over money and the uh, management of the band, and um, there were accusations made against Kim Foley and, and his behaviour towards the members of the band um, as well. So it's very that they've said before they were promised things around their schooling, they were promised things around um, how everything was going to be managed and the, um, you know, some of those promises didn't come to fruition and I think that's another thing that is very common across some of the other bands that we're talking about or some of the other eras we're talking about and I guess we don't always think of it happening in alternative music so I think that we think of it in pop and I do think that... I would, I mean, The Runaway is not necessarily strictly punk, but if we think about punk or metal or um, any of those kinds of alternative genres, I think there's a tendency to think that they don't necessarily have those same issues because it's not quite as manufactured. It's not quite as um, commercial, but that's not really true.
0: Yeah, I do have this I do do have this this horrible feeling that despite the fact that Cherry Bomb Became massive again after Guardians of Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe I think it came out and suddenly it was everywhere again. I remember thinking at the time, Bet they're not making any money out of this. Someone is. but yeah. they're not."
1: And there was. Um- I think there's now quite a lot of artists speaking out in two ways. I think you get a lot of artists who are still very sort of current, who are um, a bit more emboldened to talk about some of the contracts that they have, some of the legal issues that they have. But also you have the kind of eras where people are releasing books or, um, you know, autobiographies and talking about things, um, the reality of what things were like when they were in bands. And then we kind of sometimes don't get some of these insights until years and years later. And you look back and think, oh, actually, that sounds really, really restrictive and really awful and exploitative, but you wouldn't, I wouldn't have known it at the time or, it, you know, it, just listening to your music, I wouldn't have known.
0: Um, on our sister pod, um, one of the others under-in-frequency temporary fandoms, we did um, one, well, what was it, about a year ago, uh, Susie and the Banshees. And we had Punk Girl Diaries, come on
1: I love punk art um, diaries
0: so punk art diaries, diaries came on and they were talk, and I asked them how they started and they said there was there was a, an exhibition about punk and there was all the things you know about uh, uh, the damned and the sex Pistols, and, and and um Viv Albertine had scrawled where are all the women mm-hmm. and that sort of was like how they said, sort of, well yeah well maybe maybe we can look at, kind of look into this um we talked a little bit how the Runaways yeah, there was a bit punky in them, but let's talk about a band who actually were punk,
1: and who are quite rightly, you know, considered to be incredibly influential as well as well as sitting quite comfortably and punk um, in a way. Like you said, that the Runaways maybe not so much. Although I think there's a lot of love for the Runaways, but the Slits are um, the, the, the obvious choice, I guess, for women in punk in this kind of era. So we're looking at the kind of initial punk era so maybe like 76 sort of onwards to the early 80s and there are obviously lots of honorable mentions though they, they weren't the only female band uh x-ray specs the raincoats patty smith susie the Banshees, blondie all of that but um one of the other things that i work on um outside of doing punctuation stuff is writing a book about women Um, and punk called Rebel Girls. Um, And that has interviewed a lot of punk fans, female punk fans from all different eras of punk about what it's meant to them and how it's changed their life and what they get out of punk in all of its different iterations. And speaking to people who were there in that kind of original movement of punk, that original incarnation of it, the slits come up all the time. So when I ask who were, you really, who were you really big fans of? Who were you really inspired by? You know, who did you listen to and see and just love? And the Slits are by far... Su- Susie and the Banshees as well are really, really um, popular. But a lot of people really... A lot of young girls or young women really, really resonated with the Slits. Um, and another group who were pretty young when they started... So I think Ari Up, the singer, was 14 maybe when they... Um, when they recorded their debut album, or certainly when they first became very active, a band that were very much part of the punk scene from its inception—they were punk fans. They were, um, they were, they knew the scene really, really well. They were inspired by the DIY kind of aspect of the scene to to take it up themselves. And I think their legacy has been um, something that you know can only be appreciated in hindsight, perhaps that they're cited as, as an influence still now. Kurt Cobain I said that that Cut is one of his favourite, was one of his favourite albums. Um, he was also a big fan of the Raincoats, I think, as well. So he was really inspired by a lot of the women in the early punk movement. But um, yeah, the Slits, there's a... I mean, the authority on the Slits would probably be Zoe Howe, who's written a book, um, Typical Girls, the story of the Slits. So um, people can read that. But they are, um, a, what I like about Viv Albertine as well, um, cause I've read her bio her autobiography. I can't remember what order these words go in, but it's like music, 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 clothes, 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 boys, boys, boys. But I've probably got them the wrong way around, but it's that I've got the gist of it. It was, it's a fantastic autobiography. And, but what I always liked about the slits and Viv Albertine and them and the other members talking about their time in punk is that they don't really sugarcoat anything or, there are some other musicians that I think are quite quick to claim that there wasn't any wasn't any and isn't any sexism in punk that it was empowering for women from the get-go um and that there was that it was all perfectly safe and nobody ever had any issues and actually Viv Albertine in particular has been quite vocal about saying that no that's not always the case and we weren't always welcomed on by venues and um we weren't always given the credibility and the respect that we deserved and i think that people appreciate that her being of that kind of honesty
0: i think um it was something that sarah marcus alluded to when we had her on, either both on msg 10 and also on tebri fandoms that she was like 90s alternative rock scene was incredibly sexist yeah yeah, people think, "Oh no, man! We were different. We were with flannel shirts, and yeah, we were in touch with our feminine side." No, incredibly sexist. Just because it wasn't as sleazy um, on the face value, didn't mean it wasn't still a, a predominantly boys' club. Um, Which is why you've got Riot Girl.
1: hmm. Riot Girl came out of, we need to carve a space. I mean, I'm a big fan of American hardcore or what is called American hardcore, the Dead Kennedys, um, you know, Minor Threat, Black Flag, all of those kinds of bands. I wasn't there, obviously, at the time. Um, But, you know, I'm a big fan of those. But actually, I can see why a lot of the, why Riot Girl was a, a reaction maybe to that and that we need our own scene that kind of addresses our own issues.
0: I know. There's also something we talked about on one of the previous pods. Um, big, I'm a big fan of, of, of the Lunar Chicks. Shout out to the Lunar Chicks. I um, love
1: the Lunar Chicks.
0: The Lunar Chicks were basically bracketed as Foxcore. Foxcore? Fox It was what one of the name, they didn't know they didn't know what to call all girl pre grunge bands. And one of the one of the one of the things in the music press was Foxcore. I think it was because they thought they were foxes. Oh my god! I, don't, I literally that's don't know. grim. Um, but yeah, and they were like whoa, the year before Riot Girls sort of became a thing, I think. Um, I was trying to remember with with someone on, on Twitter the other day, about when I saw the Lunar Chicks, I think it was 91, I think. I had hair and I was young. So it was probably, it was, it was a long time ago. Um, okay, um, The Spits, what's, what, what's, what's our track?
1: The track is Typical Girls, um, because I think that is a really, for the time, a really good feminist statement, typical girls, just listing all of the things that women and girls were kind of what was expected of them in the 70s and kind of highlighting all of the things that they were railing against.
0: About three episodes ago, uh, we did an episode um, with the two hosts of the uh, Giddy Carousel of Pop, the Smash Hits podcast. And they came on, and they chose what they called '80s pop nuggets,' or what they thought were great songs from the '80s that didn't appear on all the big, the best of the '80s. When you initially sent through your list of songs, you chose as your song the next song, the one that they chosen as an, obs- an uh, uh, the one of the obscure ones from from an artist's really? canon. Um, I know, right? I just think I just. I, mean, I pulled them up for I was like come on. Um we're talking about the Bangles. Yes. Um your initial choice was Walk Like an Egyptian which I had to veto because it was 3 episodes and ago. We sure Go, we I was sure chose because
1: it was their most popular song.
0: <laughs> see I see I, I I I would say Eternal Flame. That's the big oh, one. Oh yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. I don't I mean yeah. There's there's Obviously as you grow up you sort of mature a bit, but when I was a seventeen-year-old indie kid, Susanna Hoffs—I mean, I think that, I don't think there was a single boy age seventeen who didn't idolise various female um, guitarists or, or, or singers. I mean, I had for me it was Susanna Hoffs and then Tony Halliday from Curve, just in this sort of "oh, I'm in love" because I'm a seventeen-year-old boy with long hair and there's there's a really cool woman playing music in front of me. Um, so. If people haven't guessed it already, we're we're on to the Bangles. Why the Bangles? Well,
1: I have no really like intellectual reason why I chose the Bangles or like yes. <laughs> any particular <laughs> hook to hang it on. Um, but um I really, really like the Bangles. And I guess if I and, and we were talking about kind of credibility and stuff, and I, I don't feel like they get enough credibility and i think you know something like walk like an egyptian which i was under the impression was very well known um i think it's kind of seen as a bit of a novelty song and um which i think is a bit unfair i mean they apparently were not super happy with the kind of production of it and uh but i think they were i think they have a really i think they have a really important place in terms of um 80s music and we've got there's a there's there are quite a few 80s girl bands um but the bangles being a kind of guitar band so you'd think they're all playing their instruments so they're ticking that box um they did they did write a lot of their songs although i think their their four most popular songs they didn't manic monday i think was written by prince
0: it was prince yeah, yeah. but then i mean i mean if you're going to have someone it's not like oh we're, we need, we need some, some nameless producer to write our song for us. Um, it's Prince. If Prince turns up and goes, I've got a spare song, do you want it? I mean, Sinead O'Connor took it. Um, and as far as the I'm aware, took it. it
1: wasn't like, he wasn't just up for grabs. So as far as I'm aware, he liked the bangles. He'd seen the bangles and he wanted to write a song for them. So I think an endorsement by Prince. Yeah. I mean, what, what else do you people need? <laughs> uh, and I read an article, and it was. I'm going to name and shame the publication. It was in The Atlantic. So I was doing a bit of research about Bangles before coming on here. And it was such a mean-spirited article. It literally, the headline was calling them irrelevant. And it was written um, after they had um, released some um, sort of more recent albums. So they released an album in 2003, um, I think, called. Um, Revolution, and they did one in 2011. And I think it was after Sweetheart of the Sun in 2011 was released that uh, this sort of scathing article about how um, how they, they never really made it big. They didn't have any – they weren't sort of poppy enough to be pop superstars. They weren't uh, rock enough to be rock, and they kind of didn't fit in anywhere. And I was enraged. And I thought, uh, I really, really like the Bangles. And actually, I think they came from a very organic – process in terms of ads being put in newspapers or on um you know in public art high i'm looking for a drummer and i like this band etc you know that that's a very organic process and they were part of a whole scene in la called the paisley underground which was very prince was very influenced by so presumably this is where they came into his orbit for a lot of bands that really wanted to capture the essence of the 60s sort of psychedelic or 60s guitar bands that they loved. And the, Be- the Bangles were huge Beatles fans, Mamas and Puppas fans. They liked harmonies. They liked kind of pop melodies. And they took that forward into the music they were making in the 80s. And I think it sounds great.
0: We talked a little bit earlier about well we've talked quite a lot about credibility and our next act on face value when you look back at them oh, i mean okay it's Rama, and for some people bananarama were this sort of band that looked like your sister's mates wearing dungarees read a couple of singles um didn't really know how what harmony was um, I still don't quite know how they became success- so successful when I think about you know the uh, the concept of tight music. I mean they were a bit shambolic and arguably uh Siobhan from from Bananarama went on to do better things afterwards um, but what, one of my big memories of Bananarama is they first came into the public the general public's uh, consensus through stuff with fun boy three which was terry hall's post specials um album i think it was um i think mean, that was the, it ain't what you do it's the way that you do it i think that was that was where that one comes from all really comes saying from.
1: yeah is one All really saying something no ain't what yeah. you do came first i think yeah
0: yeah um, so the idea of i mean terry hall um he's had some hit and misses in his career but he was in the specials fun boy three were, were great the man is he's, he's clearly cool in that Ascent. and then but where some people might look at, oh, it's a girl band from the eighties. Are they cool? But they were doing stuff with cool people. That was, you know, they they were cool. They weren't just picked because they were. they weren't asked to be on the Fun Boy Three album because it was oh, there's a girl band. There was lots of girl bands. There was lots of boy bands. It was here are three musicians doing something cool. Let's give them a, ah, let's give them a leg up. That sounds quite patronizing.
1: I think. Stop me
0: from digging my own hole. I'll, res- time, I'm gonna, any, I'll, I'll rescue. Time. Give
1: me the shovel. <sighs> I, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank
1: <laughs> you. I think that Bananarama were cool in their own right. And I think, um, whilst they, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they did benefit, obviously, from having an, a, a collaboration with or involvement with someone like Terry Hall but i think for a lot of again maybe a lot of it's a lot of women a lot of female fans they they as members of a group role were considered cool i always grew up thinking that they were really cool they influence they i think their influence is underestimated a bit there's members of the spice girls have said now whether people are going to agree this is a cool endorsement we'll argue when we get to the spice girls but Emma Bunton set was was the first concert she ever went to. She was inspired to go into music. All Saints have said that Banana Rama were a really big influence on them. Um, and actually, fun fact: they're in the Guinness Book of World Records for being having the highest number of chart entries of any um, of any girl band. So, I, possibly even of any band um, between, but no, by an all female group between 1982 and 2009, they had 30 singles chart in the top 50. Wow. That's huge. That,
0: I could probably name six. I mean, if you if you gave me 5 minutes and a pen and paper. Um
1: but that but, is like, you know, so that can't be you know, No, no, dis-
0: and, and, and I'm feeling I'm feeling terrible for not even realizing the the the, the massive influence they had. Um I think it was cuz my brain my my mind is scarred by certain 80s fashion images and dungarees and big hair. It was, it was what my sister looked like. So I'm basically I'm properly scarred, <laughs> scarred by this, this this look. Um, okay, so thirty. I mean, so that's that's probably I don't know, most bands now. Thirty thirty chart hits. Is about a ten-year period. I'm guessing this was over a three-year period or a four-year period, it's, right? This is no,
1: it is over the course of their career. So it's from because they were still releasing music up to 2009. But considering there was a few hiatuses, if that's the plural of hiatus, um, hiatus in between times, I think that's that's still. I mean, think how much how much the, the Spice Girls have had. I don't know eight. Like they haven't had that many singles. Um, Banana Rama, I think, have benefited from lots of chart success, but also a fair amount of longevity, which maybe people don't um, always appreciate because they've they've reformed. There's, there's been a bit of toing and fro with Siobhan Fahey. I think sometimes she's performed with them, sometimes she hasn't. Rumor has it because I think Siobhan Fahey was was she married to Dave Stewart, or still is married to Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, That like maybe he's sort of. Took her away to try more credible things, and that's why she got sick of
0: Shakespeare, sister, uh, yeah, right? and why
1: she maybe she got a bit sick of banana armor in that sense. I don't really know, but um, pure pop, um, I think they were super cool, um, and I think that people, women now, they're dance floor fillers, and I think that they deserve loads of credibility.
0: I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, um, having, what you do is what you do. Really saying something, shy boy. Cruel Summer, Robert De Niro's Waiting. There's loads. Um, Venus. Oh, my God, of course, yeah. Venus. Um, I heard a yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. have an album out this year. They're still going. I think it was, there was just, like I said, there was just this thing that if you, if, I don't think they could have been manufactured in the fact that if you manufactured a band, you'd get the harmonies spot on. And they sounded more like, well, this is what we do. We're like, you know, there's a bit of a, there is a bit of a shonkiness. And I made that in the best possible way. Like some of them, the best indie bands have a bit of a shonkiness about them. You don't want them to be um, absolutely perfect here and there. And you had, you had, for most girl bands, they need to have harmonies and dance well. And uh, Banana Rama had really cool songs, weird harmonies, and they, didn't really, dance they just sort of waved their arms about from left to right. They weren't, it wasn't about the aesthetic to sell them.
1: I'm gonna apologize decide. to the members of Banana Rama, I don't think there's anything wrong with your dancing. Um, <laughs> <it's>, sorry, I, <laughs> I think, <laughs> this is not representative yeah, views. of
0: it, yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah, but what I mean is, I mean, it's not sort of now, and even starting in the 80s, and particularly with your Paula Abdul's and whatnot, it was very, it's very elaborate dance, dance routines. You know, arms go up, arms go down, swings round. Whereas, whereas, and that would be needed almost to sell. You know, even, even Taylor Swift, if she has a video and it's a pop song, at some point I would half expect five dancers to turn up and they do, a, they do an elaborate dance routine. It seems like that has to be part of music. Whereas um, three women uh, singing a song and just sort of rocking back from side to side shouldn't work. I mean I mean its in all the best love because I love Banana around, but it's just coming across. But maybe so badly. that's why <laughs>
1: Terry Hall, you maybe if they were really slick in terms of um Paula Abdul style dance moves, maybe they wouldn't they they wouldn't have fitted with Funboy Three and they wouldn't have been um you know, they wouldn't have had the same career.
0: Yeah. I mean I think the, the closest reference would be I couldn't imagine them being a proper stock Aiken and Waterman type act?
1: Well, they were big fans of punk rock. So they, they were, um, they had often uh, either performed backing vocals or um, jumped up on stage with, they've been on stage with um, Iggy Pop, um, The Jam. So they, so they were part of that whole kind of scene. So I guess they were, had those kinds of sensibilities and they had a bit of a reputation for being a little bit, um, for being difficult. But what they have said is that they were quite assertive um, around how they wanted to look and what they wanted to do. And that was enough, if you're female, to be dismissed as difficult or surly or challenging in a way that it wouldn't be if they were a male. So because it was the 80s, they were always trying to, people trying to force leg warmers and rah-rah skirts and stuff on them. And they wanted to maintain control over their look. So they would um, often be put at odds with the kind of record company machine.
0: Okay, so we talked about the 80s, and I used the word shonky, but I mean shonky in, in, with all the best, best love. Um, and we think about 80s pop, and we think about things like uh, your Stock Aitken and Watermans, and obviously you've got your Kylies, who sort of got glamorous and got big, and then you've got your Craig McLaughlins and your Sinitas, who, who didn't. Um, I I say, what moving towards the end of the 80s, even in boy bands, you had new kids on the block sort of turn up and there became this sort of, not so much manufactured, but slickness, this slick global image that could never have passed on with some of the sort of 80s stuff that went out. This stuff that's probably, they're probably spending tens of thousands on images, on image and the right clothes and who looks like this. I mentioned New Kids on the Block as the big shift, I think, with boy bands. Who were the big shifts in terms of image with girl bands?
1: Well, we've now reached my era, which is great, which is the 90s. Um, And fun fact, the New New Kids on the Block were the first poster I ever put up as like a six-year-old or something like that. But I think this is where we get into the 90s, which was just cool Britannia and Brit pop aside, I think, in terms of kind of some of the major pop movements, it's very American, and I think with m t v is is a big factor in terms of everything has to be quite video ready, and there was um this, this extra push. For female vocal groups that mirrored, that was intentionally trying to mirror the success of the 1960s. So you had um, the the next band that we're going to be talking about, which is Invoke. Although there was, you know, there was a whole host of bands I could have picked for this particular um, early to mid 90s kind of female vocal group, American R and B style. Um, They were actually put together by to uh, producers or songwriters, Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy, in an attempt to try and kickstart a kind of new era of girl bands. And they didn't do too badly, not them too specifically, but 40 female, all-female groups charted throughout the 90s, different female groups.
0: Oh, 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 okay. So En Vogue, I'm guessing, Spice Girls, we'll we'll talk about later. Um, TLC? TLC will be there, yeah. TLC, uh, I'm not going to just sit here and try and list girl bands ladies, the 90s, but if I was sitting in a pub, I would be really enjoying this. Okay, okay. Some, me, some
1: of them have maybe got slightly lost in posterity, particularly if you're from the UK. Not all of the American bands made it big over here. So like SWV and Total and stuff like that, maybe lesser known, but En Vogue and TLC, and I was torn between the two because I love both of these bands. But I picked En Vogue because i think they were in in terms of their vocals in terms of their image in terms of the, their the nature of their songs which were very and I, I don't use this term lightly they were just badass i just felt as a young you know, a young girl from Portsmouth in the UK, Drizzly Port, lovely Portsmouth, don't uh, get me wrong. But um, they were, all of these American bands, but particularly some of the these sort of r and bands were like another world. They were so glamorous and everything was bigger and better. All the videos were amazing. The Video for Waterfalls was, um, or used all of this like computer graphics. Apparently it bankrupted the band. Uh, But, you know, time will tell whether that was worth it because it is a cool video. But in Vogue in particular, I think, um, did their song, which is not the song I've chosen, but an honourable mention, their song, um, My Loving You're Never Gonna Get It, was a really good example of a a kind of this kind of sisterhood, I guess, because it's all the vocalists are singing to the same man and saying, basically, you've lost your chance with our friend we're all, we've, you know, we're all supporting her to kind of get rid of you kind of thing. Um, and you should have treated your woman with a little respect. And it's just all very, um, it was all very strong, all very female-led, strong vocals, strong aesthetics. And I think that Invoke are one of the best of that cohort of groups.
0: We've been looking at, or well, the last few acts have been what would be, I don't know, some people would say traditionally girl band girl groups, you know, like a boy band, et cetera. Um but that's not all that was happening. I mean, obviously, I mean, we we looked at some of the punk stuff and also um the runaways earlier on, and we briefly mentioned things like Riot Girl, um what other acts were coming out that were in a non sort of dancey pop way?
1: In the 90s I think it really was a really good um a really good decade for um women in music because you also had the kind of singer songwriter phenomenon I think so the kind of Lilith Fair style very popular Alanis Morissette Jewel Sarah McLachlan Tori Amos Fiona Apple um really really big female singer songwriters um I think if you were to look at alternative music specifically once you get past Right Girl, I think Scar Punk um uh produced people like uh say Ferris and No Doubt. You also had we I, I know you said to move away from kind of pop and dance, but it was the decade of the diva. I mean it was Mariah Carey, it was Whitney Houston, it was arguably Madonna my favourite Madonna phase, the whole sort of 90s uh thing. So there there were a lot of um women in music. I think it was a good decade of, well, highs and lows.
0: Um, okay. And so in terms of, in terms of, let's stick with one of them, in terms of say the, the, the alternative side. Um, and, and we, and as we're focusing on groups, um, I mean, even like when you go into, yes, Riot girl, we've got, there's a lot of all, all female acts in Riot girl, but then I was trying to think of Britpop was like, no no male drummer no 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 male bassist you know finding all girl uh, examples um who's the next one who's the next one we're going to look at and let's and, and, and what is their what is their movement scene or genre i guess yeah, i can put it in
1: <laughs> one of my favorite bands it's the Donners. i would put them in the pop punk category which was you know kind of Well, I mean, you could, it it depends where you want to class it from. I'm going to class them in this kind of sort of later phase of pop punk. So kind of, they actually formed in 1993, but I'm I'm putting their um, career of when they became really popular from around kind of 2001 onwards.
0: And, and who are they?
1: So the Donners were um, an all-female rock group. They were very much inspired by the Runaways and the Ramones and some more kind of slightly metal bands like um, ACDC, Kiss. They covered a Judas Priest song on one of their albums. I think Living After Midnight is a Judas Priest song. So they covered um, that. What I I love about them, so they were a California, which is where a lot of the – they have a very California vibe, I think, about them. So you have these kinds of California, either literally because they come from California or they have that kind of skate punk vibe thing in pop punk. And the Donners were kind of like a slightly – they weren't kind of doing the whole I'm a skater girl kind of aesthetic theirs was we're kind of party girls so we're there's no major politics or any huge themes in their music other than we like boys we like drinking we like going out we like playing shows if you don't like our band you're a loser um just really kind of confident partying women always hanging out together lots of songs about them talking to boys together the cover of their albums were the cover of turn 21 is them sort of in a bar or a nightclub around a table with loads of like empty glasses they've obviously been out on the raz. and then on their next album spend the night they're obviously having a sleepover at one of their houses and the phone's off the hook because they're ringing boys they just look like they were having such a good time I absolutely loved them as a teen and their drummer was the reason I wanted to take up drums because it was, um, I didn't really know of any other female drummers. So um, I knew of a lot of bands that had women singing, but I didn't want to be a singer. But um, when I I saw footage of Tori Castellano playing the drums and when I heard her drums um, and she was young and she could hit them really hard i was really really inspired by the Donners. um so i really really love them and unfortunately i do think that they were um out on their own a little bit in terms of being women in, in the pop punk movement it is something that was very male dominated i think after the everything that happened with riot girl it it, it kind of then just became a lot of songs by a lot of and i and i love the whole punk, pop punk era green day are one of my favorite bands but a lot of those groups are singing as boys talk and, um, and the perspective of a young man, and girls are the object of their affection and their kind of nameless sort of entities.
0: I mean, do you think, I mean, only because there's been some examples over the last 10 years of, of female of female bands who basically were, were driven away by the internet, by men on the internet, do you think that the donors would have had the chance... If they came into pop punk with social media and the internet, because they 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 would be a target for a certain type of what's the phrase Neck-beardy individual.
1: I think yeah. I th- wow, it's a good question. I've not really thought about it. I guess I think that um, there would be. I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest, because I think it. But I think the internet and social media poses a. Um, challenge for anyone trying to do anything but in particular women trying to put putting themselves out in the kind of public sphere so I guess they would and they actually um disbanded you know before in in sort of 2012 so they they would have missed a lot of the recent controversies around pop punks. so there have been lots of um bands and and record labels who um lots of people have made disclosures about the scene as it is sort of now um and I think so. I th- I don't know where they would have ended up um, as a result of that. When they played, I mean, I don't. They haven't really spoken, as far as I'm aware, about what it was like for them at the time, being in a very male-dominated kind of subgenre. When they they played the Van's Warped Tour, I think in 1999, and there were only three. That from what I've read, only three bands with women in them on that whole roster, and that was the Donners, Biff Naked, and the um, the aforementioned Luna Chicks. Um, So they were, whatever they were doing, the success they had, because they signed to a a major label when they, um, Atlantic, when they got really popular, they were doing in a very male-dominated space, having been influenced by lots of male-dominated metal bands and then being in this kind of cohort of, you know, FX and Sum 41 and all of the newfound glory and all these boys talking about how they wanted to have sex with girls, basically.
0: We've looked at the, the rise of slick and shiny in the US and girls trying to, girls creating pop punk in a very male subgenre. Um, also in the US, also very California. Let's come back over the Atlantic and to one of the most 90s of, I mean, if you said to me, define the 90s. In 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 slogans, I'd go uh, Britpop, uh, girl power, Manchester. If I wanted to go right to the beginning, Manchester grunge, Britpop, and girl power. That's that's the '90s, right? That's all of it.
1: Pretty much, that's that's all <laughs> that's all that's all it was. And obviously, when I ever I say girl power, just for the people listening, I'm doing the I'm doing the hand gesture as well because I think that I think the two <laughs> go together. Yeah, I think as whatever you whatever people might think about the Spice Girls, it it, it you can't not include them in a kind of history of female vocal groups as they are the most um, successful f- female pop group that I think there has ever been. And I happen to, this is probably going to be my last day as editor, UK editor of punctuation as I'm... Um,
0: the, the, follow, the following view is not represented by movement scenes and genres.
1: Um, <laughs> yes, your turn to do the disclaimer now. Um, and I really liked the Spice Girls. I was their absolute textbook demographic so all the suits that were in some record company simon fuller or whoever it was thinking let's write a profile of who we're marketing the spice girls at it was me Um, and i fell for it hook line and sinker i had the albums i absolutely loved them i wanted the crisps i wanted the pepsi i wanted other brands are available big big heels
0: Um, big thick heels Yeah,
1: because jerry was my favorite so um, when I was old enough to get sketches, am I allowed to mention all these brands? I'm not. I'm not endorsed by them in any way. But if they want to send me some, that's fine. But
0: <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd really like a microphone, please. I'd love a microphone. This one's terrible. Um, so yeah, Sketchers. They
1: did platform <laughs> shoes. You know, I wanted the yeah. I wanted the the outfits. I want. I I loved the Spice Girls and. I think I'm going to defend them and I'm going to defend this concept of girl power because um, I think that there is a tendency to, I can understand to say, it was a hollow kind of marketing slogan. And I don't disagree with the fact it was a marketing slogan. But at the same time, for those of us who were too young for listening to Bikini Kill, Um, Or we just weren't exposed to those kinds of more highbrow political feminist thinking, you know, and I wasn't I hadn't read Simone de Beauvoir at like 10 years old. But what the girl power slogan did spit, you know, did try and represent was some sense of empowerment for girls. and it was for younger girls. I don't think girl power is necessarily a suitable slogan when you're 36, which is how old I am. But it i d I don't I I think at best you could say it was harm um, at worst you could say it was harmless. But at best, I do think that it did have an impact. And when thinking about Wannabe, which is obviously their most famous song, that song was about female friendships and it's saying if you want to get with me you have to you have to be with my friends and i do, i think that's a nice message and you know as a as i got to an adult i became very political i studied politics at university and my job my sort of one of my day jobs is around um Sort of domestic abuse and the impact that it has on women. So I've always been interested in these kinds of issues. And I'm not saying the Spice Girls are responsible for this, but if anything, because they're not. But if, um, you know, I think that it was refreshing to have the Spice Girls around, if you take all the incredibly cynical marketing kind of um, out of it. And it was kind of an entry level. And it was apolitical. So they weren't saying, oh, girl power means voting for these people or, or taking this political stance. It was just a very gentle kind of concept that I think mirrored some aspects of Right Girl. People are going to go mad, I think. But in that it's <sighs> about fr- it's about your friendships. It's about, um, you know, supporting other women. Um, and I think that that was a, a kind of a high point i guess for pop and, and female bands in in terms of the the 90s and that message and i think that that as we go a bit further on has kind of got lost and i i find a lot of the topics of some of later girl band songs sort of not quite as nice spirited as the um as the spice girls one
0: and it was yeah i mean like I, if i'm thinking back i mean lyrically are most spice girls songs- Quite traditional in terms of in terms of about my friends. It's about it's, I, I, I love you, love her. Like it's all quite. There's nothing. It's not groundbreaking in terms of you know lyrical content, is it? It's
1: not. But then. You know, there wasn't really, uh,
0: and I don't mean that in a bad no, way. I mean, like, and, I don't I, and I
1: think you know they did a song about their mum, didn't they? Who's going, Mum, oh, I love you." God, yeah, yeah they did. I mean, uh,
0: I, I really didn't no, like that one. I, didn't. I mean, that and was, I'm that not I'm not here was, to
1: to stick up for every single that was re- that was re- that was released. Um, but I think, uh, undoubtedly, they were so they were so huge. I think unless you were there, maybe you can't appreciate just how massive the phenomenon was the film the the endorsements meeting prince charles and now Mandela. i mean how random
0: i think there was a weird thing right when they started though and um, i think there was a quick shift in terms of marketing um loaded which was a shocking magazine but it was very 90s i remember when the spice girls were just breaking i think they hadn't even released a single at that point. And there was three or four pages on them. And obviously, they they were like, right, you're, you're you know, empty bottles of vodka, bag packets everywhere. You're, cra- you know, you're the crazy party girl. Rah! And then when their first single came out and people realized it was like, okay, actually, we'll do this. We'll keep with the girl power thing, but maybe tone down the, the over 18 party excess. Because I think it did seem to be a sort of thing of, oh, teenage girls. No, 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 shit. We were marketing this at we, this 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 first this bit of PR was marketed at 18, 19, 20 year olds. No, no, we totally got this. 15-year-old, fuck, fuck, we got this wrong. And then all of a sudden, the we drink bottles of vodka disappeared before they'd even started. I just, if I hadn't seen that one loaded issue. I'd never realized that they were even there was even an idea of of, of publicizing them that way
1: and they and I think you're right and they they were kind of i mean maybe history will judge it differently but when I look back on them and think about them it what well, i d- i didn't feel like they were kind of an overly sexual had an overly sexualized image they were young and attractive and um t- but I think the message because we're going to go on to sort of finish up by talking about maybe how things have changed in the more modern era, there was something relatively innocent about them. Or certainly there was being... Because I was 10 when Wannabe came out. So, and I think I was... I think they were even at 50. I mean, I started getting into punk and alternative music by the time I was kind of 12 or 13. And I think if they'd have released Wannabe two or three years later... I would just wouldn't feel the same way about it. But because it was such a big part um, of me being a 10-year-old girl, um, I, I have a lot of love for it.
0: You said that you think, you, you think in hindsight um, things changed um, from the sort of girl power and in relative innocence of sort of Spice Girls, to to something, you alluded to something to come. Um, what changed?
1: I don't really know. Well, I don't know why it changed or kind of, you know, what, what happened specifically. But I think I, I remember hearing the song, and I'm not, Again, I don't want to be... I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I remember hearing... And maybe it's because I was older, so I can sort of think about songs a bit more. Maybe, I don't know. But when I heard the song Don't Cha by Pussycat Dolls, whenever that was, I really didn't like... I just didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like the... Not just the sound of it, but I think... I remember hearing it and thinking, that's not a very nice... Not a very nice song, is it? Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me kind of thing. I just didn't like it. And I thought... But um, I don't remember the the songs from all, all the girl bands. So if we just keep it to the 90s, maybe, as their most common kind of predecessors. I don't remember their... I, th- I, th- I remember them, maybe on Through Rose Tinted Glasses, as being a bit more about kind of female solidarity and about... Um, and I d- And I think that changed and things became a little bit more, I guess... I don't know. I'm going to sound like a complete puritan, but there is an element of things being kind of a bit more um, sex cells, kind of having a resurgence.
0: Inst- could it could it be also with that sort of, I mean, the in- we're talking about stuff over the last ten years, which is also the rise of say Instagram and social media and check out and, and carefully curated super sexy cool image.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think so. Um, I mean, I did all this. I did all this reading like before this about uh, to, to try and answer your question as to what was the how did we get from the Spice Girls to wherever we are now? Um, and there's there was so much research about kind of the impact of um, social media. I don't think it can only be that. But in terms of just a, a the canary in the mine, I guess a demonstration of the impact that it has. Um, on what sells and what people find we're, we're very visual now with things like um instagram and i remember now when you look at like calendars for example if if anyone has calendars anymore but like if you find wall calendars
0: you, you, you've literally got I've one, got on your one wall but that's
1: because i'm old <laughs> but i don't know <laughs> um and you know i've still got a file of fax, so i don't know if people now still have wall calendars but when you Um, When I used to go into like HMV, when I was a later teen and kind of early 20s maybe, and look at some of the calendars from bands whose audience are female, so the list, people that are buying their songs and listening to their songs, I would say, predominantly would be female, but yet their image, so I don't know if it's just because they're hedging their bets, but their image, I would say, is maybe more for, for the male gaze, let's say. Um, and I find that really interesting because, may I? I didn't the bands that I grew up listening to. I didn't always feel that that was the case. But I'm sure people will send me lots of people are going to at me lots of pictures of En Vogue. I'm sure and Spice Girls and TLC. But
0: well, I mean, there's, there's, there's arguments. I mean, that in most modern women's fashion is designed for the male gaze, and yet or was at some point. Now that doesn't mean that somebody is wearing. This or that because they want men to look at them, not in any way, shape, no. or form. But the people who did back in the day when these became the cultural norms, um, high heels to make your leg look big, yeah. You know, you know there there was reasons behind all of it. And it still seems to be the case where as you as you said, oh well, maybe this is an all-girl group, and 95% of the people listening to them are female, but um. Let's sex it up. Let's sex it up.
1: But I think, and I think that that
0: has started to change. So I think
1: I'm talking about a sort of period that is kind of undefined in my head, but of the kind of pussycat doll era, let's say, maybe, and I'm sorry to pick on, pussycat dolls but it is an it is an example whereas now
0: i'd like to i'd like to defend them back um
1: on. and I, you know on, and it's very difficult to have this conversation in a general sense and and to make it clear that it's not a judgment on anyone's individual choices or in it or, but it's just more of a dissection of what it means in popular culture and what because these things do have an if i'm saying girl power and jerry halliwell you know had an impact culture has an impact and that the the interesting thing about picking and talking about all these bands is because of what the what they did to the culture or the culture did to them
0: do you also do you think i mean yeah we we touched on social media but i'm also thinking now particularly in the us and also with the younger generations From what i can gather teenagers etc the 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 access for teens, male and female, to pornography over the last ten years has is is markedly different from anything that came before. So the idea of teenagers growing up and by the time they got to nineteen, they have seen hours and hours of a certain body type and a certain type of sexuality, and that also sometimes seems to be replicated. The we're going to mention the Pussycat Dolls again, but that Sorry, seems to be a sort, sort of... Dolls, to keep mentioning you, but <laughs> I can't think of anyone <laughs> but, but, yeah, but there is a, that that hypersexuality that you sort of mentioned earlier, sex selling again. I mean, it, it can't be a coincidence that it's, that it's come at the time where basically everybody under everybody but particularly now teenagers are just watching hours and hours and hours of porn on their phones on their computers i'm not saying this in a prudish way Uh, you know when i was a kid it was a plastic bag in some bushes that the older kids had left for you but still that we were not exposed to it in the same way
1: and there is a lot of research on this to back up that also kind of what maybe used to be considered quite hardcore in terms of pornographic images. Now that threshold has kind of shifted to to things that are maybe slightly more extreme, and where that leaves the representation of women in that because it is a trickle down effect. If that's kind of the um, what you're learning as a boy or a girl, as a or you know as a, as a person that you're learning about. Um, Sex and relationships from everything that you've got going on around you. So, obviously, you get taught things at school and your parents might talk to you and stuff, but really, culture is really important. And that's why I think all of these things that we're talking about have impacts on real impacts on people's day to day lives. Um,
0: and, and it's also, I mean, I just, I, you just said something quite interesting in there, how it is a reflection of culture. I mean, yes, the spy skills were put together, but they were put together. And they looked like they were put together during Britpop, basically. They, they were representative, very representative of, of a time and place and a culture. Um, and now a lot of the bands that are put together look like they're put together, I'm going to sound really prudish, but put together in the era of pornography. So you've got 17, 18-year-old girls who are now in bands. And they're like, well, I, the last seven years, I've been told that what I'm supposed to do for, for boys to so like me is this. And it just it, it it seems very. This is a forty seven year old um, cis het um, white man trying to talk about female sexuality in, in, and as, as, as for teenagers, I'm not going to get it all right. But it does seem there does seem to be a very mirror of they do seem to be mirroring each other that way.
1: And 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 actually, the I think. The, the bands that we're talking any bands, but the bands that we're talking about shape culture and the culture shape them. I do think there's a reciprocal relationship between the two. And one and sexuality and women's sexuality is another reason that I'm really interested in um female groups or all female groups as a kind of um because lots of songs are about love and, and, and sexuality. And when, you know, there are lots of academic essays on Be My Baby by the Ronettes and how the way it's phrased and positioned makes it quite a um, revolutionary, sexually um, liberated song for women. If you look at the passive, t- you know, uh, tone of who's singing what to whom, etc., And I'm very conscious that there's been kind of moral panics um around bands and the influence oh, they're having. And the <laughs> the for the, the bands in the sixties, you know, it was the people were worried about young girls um being led astray by these songs. And and that probably hasn't changed and how women were needed to be saved from punk and all the rest of it. So maybe this is just another stepping stone um on that kind of journey and, and um I've become the, the that person that's that's worried. But the the band that we're sort of finishing off with.
0: Oh God, yeah, I forgot. Number one, I forgot there was another song to, to come. Number two, I'm thinking, oh God, we've just we've just talked about how the music industry has got, has gone bad. Is sex is selling itself? It's not this. Who's next? What poor schmuck comes and next? And actually,
1: that's not why I picked them. So, it's, so yeah. anyone that's like, so the next the next band is the last band we're finishing on. Girls Aloud, Um, and they're. So they're not quite what we were talking about just now. And I I think that they, um, yes, they have a sexy image. But the main reason that I picked them was, um, and I guess it all ties into what we were talking about in terms of Instagram and the internet, is that they are a manufactured band, were a manufactured band in like ways that nobody could deny because we all had a part to play in picking them I guess because we were watching the program where they were created in front of our eyes and I think the whole X Factor pop idol phenomenon is very interesting to see behind you get a glimpse behind the curtain I think about how Pop bands are made. The discussions that I had. Oh well, this person hasn't got the likability factor. I.e., we'll all hate them. They're not likable. You know, imagine someone saying that. Um, And people with really lovely voices, and it's like, no, you're just not, you're not attractive enough, or we can't. And the most horrendous thing for me is in X Factor. Um, the you've got the boys category, the girl category, and then the over 25s. Anyone over 25 is just lumped what? into one category. Yeah, it's like the old person category.
0: I've, been, I've, 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 I've never seen it. I, so I'm, I'm,
1: it's basically, I, if you're 25, it doesn't make a difference whether you're 25 or 65. You're in the same bracket of kind of un-market- unmarketability.
0: Um, un- the unmarketables. Un- un- no, <laughs> we, we have to have you on the show But we're going to make it perfectly clear that we're not interested in any of you. So you go to the corner of the stage and do your little dance, and then we'll get back to the
1: kids. Yeah, do your little geriatric shuffle and we'll see um, kind of if we like it or not. It's horrendous. But the, I mean, Girls Aloud actually did end up having a very successful career. um, And and I like quite a lot of their songs, really good pop songs. And I think they did pretty well um, out of, you know, that process. It's just fun it's just it shows how harsh the pop industry is that the other there was a boy group that was formed at the same time as part of this um TV program and they didn't do very well. Well they didn't do very well at all,
0: to the point I can't remember what they're called. I one, true, I think, I one true it Voice, that. I
1: think might have one, been the name.
0: Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I remember it happening but I never I didn't watch it. Um but also, I mean, the last 10 years have been basically bands that have been manufactured on TV or, or polished on TV, um, releasing Christmas songs until Rage Against the Machine decided that they'd had enough. In- no, until somebody decided to use Rage Against the Machine that they had enough. And we've gone back to manu- – it was manufactured in front of our very eyes. So maybe Girls, Girls Aloud was possibly the first one in the modern era.
1: And I, I think they're. Of people, because it's televised, maybe people think potentially that it's that all of that is new, and obviously it's not. um, and it's just the first time maybe we get to see the process. and some of the conversations that people have. Uh, or the discomfort that they have around things like the initial kind of audition process, where as a society, we're kind of invited to watch people audition and you have the good ones that are edited or, or set up for us to like them. And you also have the kind of ones we're invited to kind of ridicule or um, find funny. And it, obviously that it's the first time that's been televised, this whole phenomenon. But it, I think if we look back for, we started at the Shangri-Las, you know, we've now from like 1964, we've now reached whenever girls allowed kind of finished. And we've talked in that whole meantime about the, the um, you know, misogyny in the record industry about all these sort of Svengali types um, who were controlling things about the, about image, about singing songs, about sexuality, about not being given enough credibility. Do I write my songs? Do I play my instruments? And actually I think we've still, I think it says something about the music industry rather than it does about the bands.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like, like you said before, um, with me too, I mean, Hollywood and the music industry or, 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 or TV and Hollywood and the music industry with a few exceptions, it is generally a bunch of very powerful men making a lot of money, making a lot of decisions, um, and using, whomever as commodities and i guess maybe pop and pop bands particularly the ones who aren't playing instruments who didn't come up who didn't get signed as a band i guess they're more fragile in terms of being used as a commodity um because they're just well you're that you're a product there's four of you you're dancing you're dancing together that's the product here's a song that's the product and even to the point that when they tried, when bands like this try to then go off and write their own songs, often they're like, no, mm, no, 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 you're doing what now? Like when the Monkees released their, an album of their own stuff was fantastic, but the, the, the record companies didn't, didn't, didn't like it. I mean, take that, could I guess? Well, because Gary Barlow could technically write a tune. Um, but if, you, if suddenly they put money into an X Factor act, and then two songs in. They're like, Yeah, so um I I went to the studio and I've got some ideas for the next song. Of course you do, of course you do. Let's let's park it. Because it's not controlled.
1: There's lots of um, I mean, some of them have contracts that say they cannot write their own songs. So they're ha- they're sort of restricted in that sense. Um, but also I used to love VH1s behind the music. Do you remember that? um or any yeah. i love any documentary about knowing how things work um in the music industry and how bands found their experience and what you hear a lot around pop bands in in particular is that as soon as something didn't chart we were just left you know we we have number yeah. one so like bewitched for example if you remember them you know number one
0: they 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 had a i think they they had a record as well it was something like their first they were the the first band whose first three singles went straight into num- like there was something really quasi- crazy. They did, They
1: had a brilliant, gonna... brilliant intro to their career. You know, they absolutely blew up, and then apparently, um, so uh, sort of, I uh, saw one of them being interviewed. Then their, I think it was their fourth single was charted at maybe like number six or something like that, and it was disaster, absolute disaster. And it was like panic stations, and it, it was that was the beginning of the end.
0: Um, I think it might have been their fifth because it was was Jesse. I think maybe
1: was it dear Jesse? Jesse, hold on.
0: No, so their first four all went to number one, which I think was one of the first times, or they're one of the few bands that that have ever done that. Um, But then I can't believe I'm I'm googling Bewitched discography. I've completely
1: derailed this (laughs) for you, haven't I? We're looking at (laughs) Bewitched, Spice Girls, Pussycat Dolls. Okay, so
0: yeah, it was. um, yeah, it was the next one after that, um, and then that did. It didn't go to number one. Basically, a busted, yeah, were over. A there. It has been, yeah,
1: actually it's done, and because of this treadmill, and it was the same in the sixties. Is you know they um, once you're just not. If you're not profitable and you're not number 1 you'll know of no use to us now and there are always new and the public are part, partly to blame for this in that we have this kind of insatiable like, I want the, I want new I want new bands new songs new um you know new things like my my tastes are fickle I was 10 when this came out now I'm I'm 13 and I don't want this anymore so that band that the 10 year old was a fan of do they try and grow and mature and become, you know, do the cringe of trying to be a bit more rocky, be a little bit more grown up. No, that never works. But they also, they're not going to appeal to the new 10-year-olds. They'll want their own bands that are new to them. So unfortunately, I think it being a pop band by its nature is likely to be quite short-lived. But the impact that that has must be huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean... Take that, still make a lot of money gigging, but they make a lot of money with but women of my age who, who, who leave their kids at home and go out for a, a take that night. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the rest of them, they, yeah, you're absolutely right. They, It's over. Yeah, yeah, All right, well, um, this is probably going to go into the category of our long episodes, um, along with uh, Britpop think disco and protest, Um, but there was so much to talk about and so much we could have talked about um, that this could easily have doubled. Um, If you want to find out more about Molly, um, follow her on Twitter, at MollyTie, that's M-O-L-L-Y-T-I-E, or go to uh, the aforementioned Punctuation with a K, mag that so punctuation mag.com
1: there's no coverage um, of the spice girls on it um it is it's all punk all the time just to reassure everyone of that
0: oh that's that that, that sounds like the radio <laughs> station in, in america all punk, punk all, all the, the time, time. <laughs> um, and it's probably got better opinions about um, the sex pistols than i had um it remember if you want to find out more about our show just infrequency.co.uk um and it's, it's 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 all on there, um, Molly. It's been absolutely it's been fantastic. Great fun. Thank you very much for coming Thank you. on, and um, and I'll see you lot. See you later.